Can we just show a little bit of appreciation for our worship choir? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Always, always a blessing. Thank you, Miss Juanita. Worship is a core aspect of our community. And I love how we get to come together every week and it culminates in three worship services when we just shake the roof off this place with voices. We maybe need a new roof anyway, right? Let's, let's get it done sooner. No. Thank you for being here today, whether you're with us in person or watching online. Thanks for joining. Uh, really quickly, hey, please support our Pathfinders next weekend. Jamie George is going to be here in concert at 7 p.m. Uh, come on out, enjoy some good music, support our Pathfinders there. And our pastoral interns right out in the lobby at the end today. Remember, share your name with them, quiz for them next week. All right. Today we are finishing up our Recalibrate series in the Gospel of Matthew, the parables on the kingdom of heaven. We've been going through Matthew 13 together and we finished that up last week. And today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to read through Matthew 25 in all of its entirety. There are three stories of import found in Matthew 25 that we will be looking at together this morning. So if you got your Bibles, you want to turn, turn to Matthew 25 to be ready. We'll also have it on the screen here in a moment. And here's the context. Jesus in Matthew 24 has told his disciples, his disciples came to him and said, we would like a sign. When are you, what's your return? And he says, I'll show you signs. If you ever want to know the signs of Jesus coming back, read Matthew 24. But as we get to Matthew 25, Jesus now lays out for his disciples a set of instructions to do while they wait for his return. Have you ever been in a position where you needed to wait for something, right? Doctor's office, grocery store checkout line, that pesky stoplight that always seems to catch you on your way to work, right? What do you do while you wait? In our society today, it looks like often pulling out the little device that's in our back pocket and scrolling that for a bit. There was a time when we used to talk to the people that we were in line with or in the doctor's office lobby. I, faint memory for some of us, right, when we used to do those things. Well, the question today is, what do we do while we wait? What happens in this in-between? So, We'll start Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. The first story goes like this. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming, come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went with him into the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. Very poignant story, one you've probably heard before. There's a group, actually two groups, preparing for the coming of the bridegroom. 
And in this day and age, we know how to throw wedding parties, but back then they really knew how to throw wedding parties. These parties would last upwards of one to two weeks. And once the doors had been closed, you couldn't get in. And it was a week of festivities and just amazing, wonderful time. And as the bridegroom was going, nobody truly knew the exact day that it was going to start. So you had to keep yourself ready. And as the bridegroom came, the shout would go out, the wedding feast is upon us, come and celebrate. And he would go from town to town to village to place, collecting people for the party. And this particular group had been waiting and waiting. Perhaps they were one of the last few stops before the feast was about to begin. Two groups, some wise, some foolish. The wise ones were attentive to the needs of what the occasion drew. They knew that the bridegroom might take a little bit, so they're bringing extra oil with them. But some others, maybe it was carelessness. It was kind of blatant. Ah, we're going to be okay. Didn't have enough oil. And if we were to apply this story to our time today, perhaps they were a little bit distracted. The coming kingdom calls for attentiveness in a world of distraction. So we get ready for Jesus to come. It can be so easy for us to get sidelined on this and on that and miss what's truly important in life. The challenge with our world today is the amassing and the the building of a digital reality that you can enter into at the touch of your finger. I'm not an alarmist kind of preacher, you know me, but there's a danger in living in a false world reality and being distracted by things that are not beneficial to us. Like how Ronald Rollheiser puts it in the book, The Holy Longing, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. I like how he writes it. I don't like what he writes. We can get into a place where there's so many ideologies and so many things floating around in our mind or spirituality or religion just kind of comes the thing that we do and we're floating off into this kind of just oblivious place. The challenge that we face is that we can have all the appearance of being ready as if we have a lamp that's trimmed and ready, but not carry enough oil. Both groups in this story looked the same. They carried lamps waiting for the bridegroom, but the ones who carried the extra oil, they were the ones who made it. Now, preparedness did not earn the the bridesmaid's entrance into the feast. We must get that correctly. The bridegroom did not come along and said, who has extra oil? Okay, you're ready, let's go. No, preparedness helped them respond well when the bridegroom came. Because in this story, relationship with the bridegroom is what gained them access to the party. The same is true for us today. Pastor Travis told the story about one day going to heaven. What gets us there? A relationship with Jesus. And in this story, I love how Ellen White writes about this story in the book, Christ Object Lessons. And she makes a connection between the oil that the bridesmaids used representing the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not something that can be bought or sold in kind of a last minute venture to get into the kingdom. No, the Father said, 
I will gladly give the Holy Spirit to all who ask. Our reception of the Holy Spirit prepares us for the coming of Jesus because it's the Holy Spirit that works inside of our heart, that our heart starts beating in the same rhythm of Jesus' heart. It's the relationship that will see us through. It's grace that will keep us ready. We've been focusing a lot on grace, recalibrating our minds to what is grace? What is the kingdom of heaven? Grace through Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of the Father will keep us ready. And by the way, there's a third group in this story. It's that group of people that are shouting, the bridegroom's coming, the bridegroom's on his way. And what I love about this is that those that are ready, that have the Holy Spirit, are ready to receive the, 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 the bridegroom, turn into the heralds for the next stop on the tour. And that's you and me. As we receive the Holy Spirit, come to a knowledge of the truth of who Jesus is, it compels us to do something with what we've been given. And that's the point of the next story. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30 reads this way. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug in a, the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from their from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I have earned you five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Come, let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. Now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, master, I know, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant, give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they have been given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken from them. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All the warm fuzzies, right? Just a beautiful, wonderful story. No, which servant do you wanna be? Definitely not the last one, right? Just 
job gone out, just destruction. No, this is not the position that we want to be in. This story focuses in even more on what we do while we wait. The master is going away on a long trip. It's an indeterminate amount of time. He doesn't tell his servants, I'm coming back in three weeks, three months, or three years. They do not know. All they know is that they have been given a responsibility. And to carry out that responsibility in the absence of the master. You see, the coming kingdom calls for faithfulness to an absent master. Jesus has come and will come, but his kingdom calls for faithfulness now. While he is yet to come, we must do with the responsibility given to us something. And notice in this story, the responsibility given is determined by the perceived ability that the master sees in the servant. Ah, you can, you can handle 10 bags of silver. You can handle two bag, five bags of silver, two bags of silver, one bag of silver. It's all given out proportionally. And they must carry out with intent the responsibility given to them. And it's those who do something with what they've been given who receive a reward to the one who does nothing, punishment. We must do something with the grace we've been given. We have been given a responsibility. And some of your Bibles probably say talents, right? Five talents, two talents, one talent. It's great translation. Well, not exactly a translation. It just takes the Greek word for talent, which was a denomination of currency or an amount of currency at the time, and just transliterates it right into English. The challenge, we have a word that means something else by the syllables talent than a denomination of currency. So it's very quickly that we can get into like, oh, he had like this many talents, this many talents. What are we doing with the responsibility that we've been given? What are, being, what are we doing with the truth that has been laid out in front of us? Seventh-day Adventist church. What are we doing as the keen church in this community with the responsibility we've been given for the care of the people around us? What will we do with what we've been given? Michael Green in his commentary, Message of Matthew, page 262, puts it this way. There's a fascinating parallel between spiritual and natural laws. If we develop our muscles, our reward is that we can carry heavier burdens and still feel good. And probably look good too while we're doing it. To those who have, more is given. And I've come to uh, a very personal and intimate understanding of, of what Michael Green is getting to here. Uh, many of you remember ruptured Achilles about six months ago, having a rehab from that. Uh, being in an immobilized cast and boot for the better part of five to six weeks just does not bode well for muscle strength in the affected area, right? The calf on, on this leg compared to that leg just decided to take a break. It's like, I'm just not going to do anything. And the evidence shows that when the, the cast comes off and I look down and like, that calf is definitely bigger than that one. It's kind of embarrassing sometimes, right? It's like, I just don't want to, I got some work to do, right? So I've been going to physical therapy and Pastor Ruben and I, right? And uh, we've been having, having a great time there. And one day I walk in and one of the physical therapists that's been uh, working with me sees me and he looks down and like he knows the, the affected area and he says, hey, they're starting to look similar again. You're starting to build some more muscle. Good job. And I was like, you noticed. Thank you. I, I've been putting in work. 
And those of you who know that exercise, the muscle you exercise is the one that, that grows. The one that you use, you get to keep. It's a use it or lose it game. I've got to put in some work to get this calf back up to this side. This one's giving it some encouragement, but it's still, it's, it's a little bit behind the ball. It's like, you know, just more of this in my life. So if you ever see me just kind of around, don't worry, I'm getting this one up to speed, doing something with what I've been given, right? We must do something with what we've been given. What will you do? What will we do? What will I do with what we've been given? What will we do? Will we give of our time, our talents, and our treasure for the purpose of mission? That we know that God is expecting a return on investment. He says, don't worry about the result. All I'm asking you to do is show up and do something with what I've given you. For each of us individually, we must answer to that. And I believe we will answer to it corporately as well. As the keen Seventh-day Adventist church, what will we do with our resources? Several million of dollars coming through this organization every year. What will we do with our resources? An army of volunteers. Don't look over your shoulder to the person behind you. I'm looking at you, okay? An army of volunteers. What will we do with our resources? Will we come together and do something with what God has given us? Or will we allow that to just be the responsibility of somebody else because I can slip in unnoticed to King Church and I can slip out and I'm okay with that? What will you do with what you've been given? I think the wise philosopher Yoda had it best when he said, do or do not, there is no try. Last story. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you're blessed of my, by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the creation of the world. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show hospitality or naked and give you clothing? Like what gives? When, 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 when did that happen to you? When do we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on his left. He says, away with you. You cursed ones into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will, will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will say, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Again, another story, there's two groups. Both are surprised. Both ask the same question. 
And it's so easy to take this story and reduce it to simply a theology of social justice that, yeah, just take care of the people around you and nothing else matters. It can also be easy to reduce it to do good and you'll get a reward. But both interpretations of that story do not fit here. The intent of this story is to say all are free. I am free, you're free to live as we please. But at the end, we must give an account to the one who ultimately gave us life in the first place. We are responsible for our actions. The coming kingdom calls for loving kindness, especially to the ones counted least. I love this story. Because the, the ones who are, who are blessed and the, the, the receive the reward and the affirmation, they're so busy after meeting people's needs and doing things for other people that they totally, it's become second nature to them. When did we specifically help you, Jesus? Because we're always helping people. Jesus says, when you help them, you're helping me. The heart of following Jesus is being in relationship with Jesus himself. And that is marked by a particular sacrificial care for others. That in the same way Jesus sacrificed his life for us, we in turn sacrifice our lives for others. As the third or fourth century, a Roman soldier by the name of Martin of Tours, this is kind of right at the turn when the Roman Empire turned Christian under Constantine the Great. And he's riding along one cold winter day And he sees someone along the side of the road, a man who's shivering in the cold. And Martin thinks to himself, what what am I going to do? And the story goes that he takes the cloak off of his back. He cuts it in half with his sword and he gives the man half of his cloak. So they both can go on with at least a little bit of covering and protection from the cold. That night, the story continues. Martin falls asleep and he dreams of a heavenly throne room. And he sees Jesus there and some angels and the angels are asking Jesus a question. They're saying, hey, where did you get that cloak? Like it's it's cut in half and like, where did that come from? And Jesus replied to the angels, see how Martin has given me his cloak. By taking care of the least, the last and the lost, we take care of Jesus himself. And right now we're living in the The in-between, the now and the not yet, that Jesus has come and he will come. But what do we do now? I think the beauty is that each and every one of us in this in-between, after Jesus has already come and before he will come again, get to be Jesus to other people. That we hasten the coming of the kingdom of God, not that we baptize enough people and get enough numbers and like enough people in the kingdom. No, we hasten the coming of the kingdom of God by bringing it ourselves to the relationships we hold with the people around us. That the kingdom can be realized now. We have a hope of a future kingdom of glory, but now the kingdom of grace is extended and we must be making invitation by word and deed to the people around us. Like Alan White puts it in the book, My Life Today, page 243. There's a great work to be done in our world. And as we approach the close of Earth's history, it does not lessen in the least degree. But when the perfect love of God is in the heart, wonderful things will be done. I don't know about you, but I wanna be a part of wonderful things. I wanna be a part of 
bringing Jesus to people, of not being distractive, but being attentive to what's going on in our world, of sharing loving kindness, especially to the ones counted least, and being faithful to a master who's currently absent, but we know is coming back one day. My prayer as we conclude this series, as we've recalibrated, what's the kingdom of heaven? What's the kingdom of grace? What's grace all about? My prayer is this, that our heavenward minds would move us to earthward good.